0: Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic morning so far. This is Prep Day. Welcome to an Aliyah day on Prep Day. The uh, sixth and seventh readings of the Aliyah, uh, or the Parashah, I should say, of uh, Kedoshim we're going to be looking at today. As I just said, it's the Prep Day, which means it's the day before the Sabbath. The day in which we all prepare for God's Holy Shabbat. And uh, as we're getting our homes and tables and dinners ready, birds are singing, butterflies are dancing around our heads, it's nothing but peace, nothing but shalom, nothing but love, nothing but joy. It's amazing, right? I mean, it's going to be an amazing uh, Shabbat, God willing. For those of you who have uh, are concerned, I am feeling a little better today, still struggling with this, whatever it is I have, so... Uh, Thank you, Hashem. May Hashem continue to uh, make me uh, feel better and make you feel better if you're not feeling good from wherever you're watching all across the Fruited Plain. May you have a great and wonderful, amazing Shabbat. As I said, we are going to be looking at the sixth and seventh reading of Kedoshim. Uh, This has been a great parashah. There are so many mitzvahs in this... uh, and this particular parasha, uh, obviously, even spending thirty minutes a day talking about it, we haven't really been able to uh, to look in depth at every single uh, mitzvah. But that's the great thing about the Torah portion, correct? We it, there 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 is no end. We you can study the you can you could literally study the Torah your entire life and uh, never run out of things to learn. It's just amazing. So, we are in chapter 20 of the book of Vaikra, or Leviticus. And if you have the art Chumash, we're going to be on page 667. Begin reading in verse 8. The verse 8 of chapter 20 is where the sixth Aliyah begins. Uh, and it says, You shall observe my decrees and perform them. I am Adonai. You who sanctifies you. Now I want to just point something out. It says, I am Adonai who sanctifies you, and then Messiah Yeshua prayed that we would be sanctified in truth. And he, he and he describes in the book of John then in, in the next sentence he says in John 17 17, Sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth. So he 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 identifies that truth is the word of God, okay? And then later it talks about, and we're going to be reading in a second, that we're sanctified by the Torah. So I just want to, you know, connect the dots on that triangle for a moment because God says here, I am know who sanctifies you. Messiah says it's the word that sanctifies us, which is synonymous with truth. And then later we're going to find out it's the Torah that sanctifies us. So which is it? Is it God who sanctifies it, us? Is it the word that sanctifies us? Is it the Torah that sanctifies us? And the answer is yes. It's one and the same. So the Word of God is the Torah of God, which is God. Okay. So anyway, so it says in verse 9, For any man who will curse his father or his mother shall be put to death. His father or his mother he has cursed. His blood is upon himself. The sages point out, by the way, that we are not allowed to curse our father and our mother. And interestingly... There isn't a condition placed upon that. So not all of us have wonderful parents. And uh, nevertheless, we're not allowed to curse them. But the sages also point out that includes after their death as well. We're not allowed to con- uh, to uh, curse them in life, nor are we allowed to curse them after their passing. And just want to point that out. There's a very strong ethic. Remember also, by the way, that in the Torah, when it talks about honoring your mother and your father, that's one of the only mitzvahs that actually has a—not um, a condition. That's not one word. I'm looking for, but a, a benefit associated with it. Most mitzvot do not tell you what the reward is. In fact, the sages say you shouldn't really seek out what the reward is. Uh, most mitzvah don't tell you. So, in other words, if you wear a seat seat, it doesn't tell you. Wear a seat seat, you're going to be amazing. Or you eat kosher. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have. Uh, you're going to be brilliant. It doesn't tell you that, right? And so there's a there's an idea in Judaism that we're a not supposed to seek out the reward, and b we're supposed to consider every mitzvah as important. We're not necessarily supposed to rank the mitzvot, although in a way the Torah does because it says that. You know, we're not allowed to commit, a, to, to break any law, even with the life over law principle, um, for idolatry or adultery or murder. So one could assume that those are the top three mitzvot. Never the, and, and, then, and then, of course, we talked about yesterday that Yeshua said the top two mitzvot are love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Nevertheless, we're not to think about the mitzvot in terms of their ranking. Having said that, when it comes to honoring your mother and your father, God says, do this and you'll have a long life. So isn't that interesting? Um, so that you would live long. And so it's kind of a we say that tongue in cheek to our children honor your mother and father, you'll have a long life. Uh, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that also says that about not separating or uh, eggs from a nest that has the the mother bird in there. And then we have, of course, just as an aside, we have God giving us the reward for tithing. That's another one where He stipulates that if you tithe, then you know you'll you'll uh, have more than enough. You'll see that I'll bless you. And of course, Yeshua says that as well about tithing. Right? He says, if give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So um, anyway, it says, a man who will commit adultery with a man's wife, who will commit adultery with his fellow's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. This is talking about having intimacy with somebody else's spouse. That's adultery. And incidentally, um, the incident of the Gospels where the adulterous female is brought before Messiah Yeshua and, and they're trying to entrap the Messiah and find out what, his, uh, what he's going to say about her. It, it's uh, peculiarly absent is the male. Why do they only bring the female? Why do they not bring the male? That's interesting, isn't it? It says here that she and he should be put to death. And so they only brought the woman. So that's likely part of the problem. Uh, in that story. So verse 11, a man who shall lie with his father's wife and will have uncovered his father's shame, the two of them shall be put to death. Their blood is upon themselves. A man who shall lie with his daughter-in-law, the two of them shall be put to death. They have committed a perversion. Their blood is upon them. I should point out that these prohibitions have already been stated in chapter 18. What we're finding here is not the prohibition, but rather what is the punishment? Um, that's what it's being articulated here, that if we violate, God forbid, these prohibitions, then we're going to suffer uh, this particular punishment. In verse 13, a man who lies with a man, that's homosexuality, as one lies with a woman, they have both done an abomination. Again, there's that strong word again that's akin to idolatry. And they shall be put to death, their blood is upon themselves. So, uh, we live in a day and age where people seem to be confused as to whether or not homosexuality is a, is a sin, whether or not God is for it or against it. I'm a bit perplexed by that, but I will only say that once we start deleting God's word, where does it end? So if we delete God's word because it doesn't work for us, we want We don't like it, we, we'd we rather uh, do something different. So we, we're okay with it. We're like, well, God got rid of his, because of the Messiah, which is a lie, God, um, uh, Uh, nullified his holy Torah. Oh, isn't that wonderful? This is fantastic. And now, uh, decades, centuries, millennia later, we have people uh, that are saying that homosexuality is perfectly fine and and some people are up in arms going, well, this is crazy. How can we say that uh, God's word has been nullified? And my reply to that, we've already nullified his word. It's like I said one time in an Aliyah that uh, we get upset because the government takes the 10 commandments uh you know the the pictures and so on uh out of the courthouses um but we've we've done away with the 10 commandments a long time ago so why are we just like the artwork is that what it is or i'm just asking i, I I'm, I'm honestly i'm asking think about it if we're not following them then why cuz you know the part of the 10 commandments for instance is the shabbat right that's the fourth commandment so If we're not keeping the Sabbath, so it's really only the nine commandments, so shouldn't we be petitioning to keep the nine commandments in the court? But then again, if we've already started removing the commandments from the commandments, then why are we surprised when the government removes them altogether? I'm just asking. Think about it. That's why we've got to think critically about things. Because we want the government to keep something that we're not keeping. And then we're mad when they don't. Anyway, um, so it says in, uh, verse 14, a man who shall take a woman and her mother is a depraved plot. They shall burn him and, and them in the fire. And there shall be not, there shall not be rather depravity among you. Verse 15, a man who shall lie with an animal shall be put to death and you shall kill the animal. Um, uh, Bestiality obviously is sinful and and uh you, one would not be surprised that ever since uh the United States decided to uh sanction uh, homosexual marriage officially that there have there have been people who have tried to uh, marry their pets and I know it sounds insane right it 's crazy How could that happen well I, I just got through telling you how it could happen but this is happening, happening, and so when we read these kind of things, uh, when I was growing up as a young boy um, a thousand years ago, um, <clears throat> we you would read these kind of things, and you would think, that's who does that? That's insane. Nobody does that. Uh, and, and here in 2019, uh, it's not so insane. Verse 16, And a woman who approaches any animal for it to mate with her, you shall kill the animal kill the woman rather, and the animal, they shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. A man who shall take his sister, the daughter of his father, the daughter of his mother, and he shall see her nakedness, and she uh, she shall see his nakedness. It is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the members of the people. He will have uncovered the nakedness of his sister, and he shall bear his iniquity. A man who shall lie with a woman in her affliction and has uncovered her nakedness, he will have barred her source and she has, or bared, excuse me, I'm sorry, not barred, bared, bared her source and she has bared the source of her blood. The two of them will be cut off from the midst of her people. The nakedness of your mother's sister or your father's sister shall you not uncover, for that is bearings one's own flesh. They shall bear their iniquity. And a man who shall lie with his aunt will have uncovered the nakedness of his uncle; they shall bear their sin, they shall die childless. A man who shall take his brother's wife, it is loathsome; he will have uncovered his brother's shame they shall be childless. You shall observe all my decrees and all my ordinances and perform them perform, perform them. Then the land to which I bring you to dwell will not disgorge you. Do not follow the traditions of the nations that I expel from you, from before you. For they did all of these, and I was disgusted with them. So I said to you, you shall inherit the land, and I will give it to you to inherit it, and a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Adonai your God, who has separated you From the people. So, as we said earlier, as as in maybe the first or second Aliyah of this parasha, holiness is about separation. It's about being distinct, being separate, being separated. Um, And so, God is saying here, I've separated you from the people. So, don't become like them. We are supposed to have a a set of laws that we follow, a a code, a moral code that we have. Um, that is different than the rest of society. We have to live by that code. Why? Because we want to be distinct. Not because we want to be distinct. I shouldn't say it like that. Because God wants us to be distinct. So let's conclude the reading. It says, You shall distinguish between the clean and the unclean, between the unclean bird and the unclean, and you shall not render your souls abominable through such animals. Now, It's interesting to me and it's interesting to the commentators that this entire parasha about holiness wraps up, tie a nice bow on it, talking about clean and unclean animals and eating kosher, basically. Why? We're going to find out why in just a second. It's fascinating to me. It says here, do not render your souls abominable through such animals and birds and through anything that creeps on the ground, which I've set apart for you to render unclean. I want you to think about this for a second. This is God. Okay? Now, somebody asked me recently, because the story of Mark chapter 7 comes up rather often where Yeshua is talking about, the story is about Yeshua and some, not all, but some of his disciples not washing their hands ceremonially before they eat bread. And Yeshua goes on to talk about that what goes into man does not make him unclean or impure, but what comes out of him. And so people have totally not read the story, not thought it through. And of course, they don't also don't know what they don't know, because they don't understand the whole dialogue about ceremonial hand washing and bread. You're supposed to ceremonially wash your hands. Pardon me, I'm having trouble talking because my sinuses are stuffed up, I guess. But anyway... You're supposed to ceremonially wash your hands before you eat bread. Okay, Now we wash our hands generally before we eat, but really the mitzvah is before you eat bread, which is why when you go to a kosher restaurant, there is a little uh, bowl of bread by the hand-washing station. That's why we have it at our hand-washing station on Shabbat here at the synagogue. Because after you wash your hands, you're supposed to eat bread, and so you should do that immediately thereafter. So, the topic in Mark chapter 7 is, uh, is it okay to eat bread without having ceremonially washed your hands? And so the Messiah is saying yes, because it's a, it, it's a great thing to wash your hands ceremonially, but he's saying is, if you do that, it does not make you impure or unclean. That's what he's talking about. He never denounces ceremonial hand-washing, never, not one time. In fact, the scripture actually says that some of his disciples, not all, some, and it doesn't even include him because he's not a disciple. So maybe he was washing his hands. He probably was. Otherwise, it would have said, how come you and your and your disciples are not? But people ask the question, so isn't this true, based on what the Messiah said, that that eating unclean food does not make you impure? And my answer to that is absolutely not. How do we know that? Because God said the exact opposite. He says right here, if you eat unkosher food, you are making your souls, not your body, your souls abominable. Now, that's the word of God. That's God's word. Now, is Hashem going to come along later and say, you know what I said way back when? Yeah, that was a mistake. I don't know what I was thinking. I was having a bad day that day. It turns out that in fact, no, you can eat whatever you want. It's perfectly fine. I'm not sure where I got that. I was listening to somebody else. Michael was talking to my ear. No, of course not. God's word is eternal. It's always pure. All right. Let's, it, says, it concludes by saying in verse 26, You shall be holy for me, for I am I your God, and I have separated you from the peoples to be mine, any man or woman in whom there will be sorcery of Ov, or Yidonin. This is like the third time it's mentioned this, so sorcery obviously is out. They shall be put to death, and they shall be pelted with stones. Their blood is upon themselves. That's the end of our uh, Torah portion. Now, going back to Kashrut. When people come to Sar Shalom, and they come from whatever background they're coming from, they don't know anything about anything. One of the first things we do is we encourage them to uh, begin eating kosher. We encourage them to uh, make their kitchen kosher, to start buying kosher food, etc., etc., Question becomes why? Why do we do that? Why do we start with that one? Why not start with something else? Why not start with anything else? Wrapping tefillin, wearing a talit katan. Um, well, I don't know, but why do we start with 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 that? And the answer is is actually found here in the uh, art school It says to this particular passage that avoiding unkosher food. Forbidden food is actually a prerequisite for holiness. It's a prerequisite. Isn't that, isn't that interesting that, that eating, eating kosher is actually where one begins on the path of, uh, of becoming holy? Well, the answer to that is that we are what we eat. When we eat food, it it doesn't just enter the body and and that's it, but it actually becomes part of who we are. Those the elements, the uh, the moral and and physical and soulish elements of whatever it is we're eating becomes part of who we are. And God has set out from the beginning what is holy food and what is unholy food. <clears throat> and so, if we want to start living a holy life, the first place we begin is, um, is with food. Now, if you also, if you think about it, food plays a tremendously important part of our everyday lives. I mean, it goes without saying that we're, we eat every day, right? We eat, you know, a lot of people eat three times a day. Some people don't always eat three times. Some people eat more than three times a day. But what else is it about? If we want to have a social event, it always involves food. Right? We want to we wanna we think about taking someone out for something special. It's always about food. We always think about, well, let's go out and get something to eat, or let's go to dinner. Or if you want to take somebody out, maybe you're courting someone, you're thinking, well, what should we do? You know, let me let me take them out to dinner. So food plays an important part. A lot of people are addicted to food. They're addicted to certain types of food. Uh, the stomach has become uh People's gods, in a lot of uh, in a lot of instances. Anyway, it plays a very important aspect. But to quote from Rabbi Monk, he says, "You shall distinguish." Talking about verse twenty-five, he says, "The raising of man to the ideal holiness begins with his observance of the dietary laws," as was explained in the commentary to the Exodus twenty-two thirty. Here, the Torah recalls this important truth. As it concludes the chapters proclaiming the laws of holiness. So, again, just to emphasize that everything that we're trying to accomplish in living a holy life before Hashem, the place in which to begin that walk is Kashrut. This is why, for us, it's one of the first things that we say. We we tell people, basically, we have three. Areas in which we encourage people to begin doing as they're uh, on their path. First is to eat kosher. The second is to observe the Shabbat. And third is to observe the Yom Tovim, the festivals. Because kosher, of course, we just got through saying, and we're we're about to find out why it's a prerequisite, is the prerequisite for holiness. Shabbat keeping is all about turning away from idolatry and acknowledging the one true God getting on God's timetable. And of course, the festivals are also about getting on God's timetable, and it's also about getting into the flow of what God has done, what He's doing now, and what He's going to do in the future. And so this is where the person begins, and everything else from there is just, uh, you know, learning and growing. But it says here, To be sure the supreme moral objective that holiness represents is accessible to all men. So all men can achieve this goal. You don't have to be just Jewish. Of course, you you have meaning. To be Jewish means you're in the covenant. But it's not as if if you're not Jewish, there's no hope for you. If you're not Jewish, the hope is that you will convert. But anyway, it's it says, But there exist certain entities on earth that have an inherent quality of holiness. So all men can become holy, but there are entities on earth that have an inherent holiness. And the example given here is the is first and foremost the holy land. The holy land has an inherent holiness that is far and above any other land. There is something intrinsically holy about Israel that does not exist anywhere else. He also points out that the Sabbath is an intrinsically holy day. This is why you can't make just any day Sabbath. It doesn't it doesn't work. You, you and I don't have that prerogative. You and I do not have the ability to distinguish what day is holy and what day isn't. The Sabbath has an intrinsic holiness. Um, Incidentally, isn't it interesting, have you ever thought about the fact that because God wants that day to be holy and and it's a day of rest, no working, no... uh, you know, no activity or whatever. Isn't it interesting that the world has made that day the day of activity, the day of buying and selling, the day of everything else? Think about it for a second. If the world agrees with it, it's probably bad. And he points out here that the people of Israel have an intrinsic holiness, right? He says, he goes on to say that the animal kingdom is divided into clean and unclean species. This has been so from the beginning. So thus the quality of of holiness constitute a sort of dividing line pre-established in the plan of creation. So there are certain animals that have within them an intrinsic holiness and others do not. It's the opposite. They have within them an intrinsic impurity. Now why is that the case? Why Why does the chicken have an intrinsic holiness and the rabbit does not? I don't know. But God, for whatever reason, made that distinction long ago. And so it says, there's a dividing line. Who distinguishes between the holy and the ordinary? It says, so the reason that holy eating is a prerequisite for holiness is because... We start to get into the flow of that separation because God has already decided what is holy, what is not. And we have to eat in order to live. So eating is a part of our everyday function in order to give vitality to our life. So our body, to include our soul, is receiving life source vitality from some substance and, and therefore... We need to be drawing that vitality from holy substance, which is going to lead us into um, a level of holiness. Now, to continue this thought, it says, I've separated you from the peoples. And Rabbi Monk brings down, as Rashi explains, that I've set you apart to be mine. However, if you do not obey my Torah, if you don't obey my laws, then you will be separated apart and belong to Nebuchadnezzar and others like him which is a reminder that there are only two kingdoms in the world. There's only the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And and we want to live in a world in which we are at peace with all people. If If you don't want to be a part of this religion, if you have some other religious faith, then that's fine. We're going to live in peace with you, and we're not going to try to kill you, harm you, hurt you, whatever. We are going to maybe try to win you over with our ideas and persuade you with truth. But if you don't want... To do that, if you want to follow your own religious faith, then we're going to let you do that, and we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to be violent or terrorist or whatever. And everybody should think that way. Having said that, that is far different than than coming to the in the errant conclusion that all faiths have uh, validity that all roads lead to heaven. Living at peace and letting someone be at peace in their faith without hurting them, without mocking them, without uh, being vindictive towards them is far different than saying, well, I not only do I do that, but I also accept your faith as valid. And we have to understand that that we can be at peace with somebody without accepting their faith as valid. All roads do not lead to heaven, no. No, they do not. All religions, you know, are, are not uh, valid. Now, is God a God of grace? Absolutely. Does he judge uh, people based on what they know? and all? Yeah, of course. You know, that's up to him, though. But it's up to us to make those clear distinctions. And the reason I point that out is we have to understand there's all, there are only two kingdoms in the world, period, end of discussion. There is either the period the, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. That's all there is, and we have to make those distinctions because we live in a world that wants to be, wants to blur the lines between truth and falsehood. That all roads lead to heaven. Everybody's viewpoint is is correct. Um, that we can't have any absolutes. There's there are no absolute this or absolute that. Uh, there are diff- just different shades of gray. There are uh, people who, um, you know, nobody wants you to say, for instance, that getting a tattoo is, is a sin. It, it's a sin to you, but not a sin to me. That That's the kind of attitude people want to have. Um, and so we just have to guard against that is what I'm trying to say here. Because, let's say here, you can be set apart to me, and how are we set apart to him? Through the Holy Torah. If you're not set apart to me, then you're set apart to Nebuchadnezzar or others like him. So much more to say, but, man, we've, we've just scratched the surface. But I just want to share this last little part here. Because I think what I'm about to read prevents us from sounding arrogant, Right? Um, It says, Rashi goes on to quote Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, when he says, A person should not say, I hate pig's meat, or I can't bear to dress in clothing of mixed materials, that is linen and wool. But rather he should say, I would like to, but what what can I do? My heavenly Father has forbidden me to do it. We learn this from the Torah's words, I have separated you from the peoples to be mine. Let your separation from them be in honor of my name. One should separate from sin and accept subservience to the kingdom of heaven. In his eight chapters, chapter six, Ramban draws a distinction between the rational commandments and the non-rational ones. The rational commandments are consistent with human logic, whereas the non-rational ones require blind obedience That's why they're called commandments of obedience. And Ramban explains that Rabbi Eliezer Ben-Azariah's statement only applies to the non-rational commandments, which do not correspond to man's natural reasoning or desires. Man should not attempt to associate his personal desires with them, but should perform them purely as God's decree. Included among these commandments, Ramban mentions the prohibition against mixing meat and milk Mixing linen and wool. Eating pig's meat and marrying a blood relative. You know, the reality is, is that I've had all that stuff, right? I've had pork. I've had bacon. I've had uh, crawfish etouffee. I've had cheeseburgers. Uh, What do you call it? Um, Chicken alfredo. I've had all that stuff. You know, the reality is it's all good. It tastes good. Uh, but if sin didn't taste good, then why would you want it? It's not about taste. It's not about... Because people say, man, why? how can you do without bacon? It's good. It's not about whether it's good or not. It's about whether or not God allows it or not. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in saying, don't say you hate it. Don't say you, you can't stand it. But say that it's good, it tastes good, but God said no, and therefore I'm following him. I'm honoring him, not because of my own preferences, because then it becomes more about what you like and dislike. It's not about that at all. It's about what God likes and dislikes. Ultimately, this life is about being separated. There is so much more to share. I probably have another, at least two segments that I could spend on some of the notes that I've made through this tour portion. But I think we can boil everything down, no pun intended, to living a life of separation, a life of distinction. And we're gonna be, you know, if sin was not enticing, if it didn't taste good, if it didn't smell good, if it didn't look good, then it wouldn't be enticing. But it's up to us to distinguish between what is holy and what is not. And that's something that in our modern society, very, very few people do. But I want to encourage you to live a holy life because that's really the now what. That's what God has called us to, to live a holy life. And sometimes that's saying no to what millions upon millions of people say yes to enthusiastically. End of our Aliyah today. I hope you have a beautiful prep day. I hope you have a beautiful Shabbat. With God's help, I will see you tomorrow. And we will all be in the synagogue together, worshiping and magnifying the name of the Holy King. If you're new to us, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please join us. Please come to the synagogue. We'd love for you to be with us. If you're not in the DFW area, please join us on live stream. You can go to to mysarshalom.com and join us on live stream. Uh, Join uh, literally hundreds of people who will be watching tomorrow with you. And it's going to be a joyful time. Again, if you're here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please join us in person. We'd love to have you and meet you and, and enjoy your company. Shalom and blessings. Shabbat shalom. See everybody tomorrow.